0: The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball.
1: Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Dyer to the wall. Rays win! Rays win! Rays win! D-Man Toy with a two-run. The
2: Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue.
3: Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth
0: interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the line up, your pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air in the left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Ben Benintendi, Willie Adamas. with his first big league hit. It's a home run against Chris Sale.
3: Here's your host, Neil
0: Solans. Welcome to our latest show on deck today. Tommy Pham on why he's enjoying Tampa Bay and his work to help others. Mark Topkin will join us live from Boston. Rob Metzler on the draft, plus the Rays' top four picks this year and last year's top selection in Matthew Libertor. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and our featured guest this week is Tommy Pham. And, Tommy, first of all, great to have you on the program. You are doing some terrific work this coming week for the National Carataconis Foundation, describe what you're doing and how
4: important it is to you. Thanks for having me, Neil. Um, busy week. A um, lot of lot of things going on off the field for just charitable reasons. One, I invited um, a group of kids to the game. I do that once a month. I they come to the game. There's a meet and greet during batting practice, and you know I get them onto the field during batting practice. They have a chance to meet um, some of my teammates as well, and just you know the whole. Experience. We had a auction this week from some of my game-use memorabilia, and those proceeds will go to the National Keratoconus Foundation. It's something I started doing a, a couple years ago because after the season I had a ton of game-use cleats, bats, broken bats, gloves, everything from hats, jerseys. I thought the best thing I could do was turn some of my baseball stuff into, uh, you know, charitable proceeds. You know, it, it's it's been a wonderful idea ever since. We've we've had some auctions this week on on some of my stuff, uh, like my cleats, hats, arm sleeves, batting gloves, stuff like that. Those proceeds will go towards the National Caridiconus Foundation, just because a lot of insurances they don't cover the keratoconus eye condition so you know stuff like contact lenses and doctor visits uh they 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 tend to be very expensive for people and I I know firsthand you know because when I was in the minor leagues and you know my insurance wasn't picking up anything and I have uh you know like a $2,500 contact lens and doctor visit you know I was just always just trying to figure out year year after year like all right you know I need $2,500, you know, just for my eyes for this season, I just thought it was a great idea, you know, to help many people out as much as I can and go from there.
0: And you're doing a wonderful event on the 12th, too,
4: for the foundation. Um, So that that started uh, actually in uh, 2017. I was named an ambassador, actually, for Keratoconus just to help bring, raise awareness for Keratoconus because a lot of people don't even know what it is, you know, and it's, I mean, it is a rarity, but like I said, just to raise awareness, help people understand and learn about the eye condition.
0: For people who don't know a lot, how would you best describe it in simple terms for the impact, the challenges it presents?
4: Just uh, really bad astigmatism. You know, keratoconus is is basically when your cornea, the cornea of your eye is shaped like a football instead of a, a circle. So you can imagine, you know, the flattening of your cornea like that, you know, um, how, how it could affect your, uh, you know, your astigmatism.
0: How difficult is that to overcome, especially for an athlete? In this sport where your eyes are so important, you have amazing determination, I would think, to be able to overcome that.
4: Right. I would say baseball, you know, for me to have it and uh, to be playing baseball as a hitter uh, especially is extremely difficult, you know, because vision is the most important thing for hitting outside of, you know, just normal hand-eye coordination, but, you know, for an everyday non-athlete you know, driving, reading you know, just normal day-to-day activities that we all take for granted
0: But you're a world-class athlete and do you know of any other athletes who've been able to handle things like you have done?
4: Um, I actually learned this year um, that Steph Curry has keratoconus Um, I, I learned about it Right before we went to go play in San Francisco, and uh, I was kind of set up to meet him before the game. When we were out in San Fran, I went to a Golden State Warriors game. Traffic screwed it all up. You know, there was an accident right before, right off the freeway, and um, I didn't, I didn't make it in time.
0: Well, hopefully, when the team's back in Oakland, maybe he'll still be there after they win it.
4: Who knows if they win another championship? You... We'll see. We'll
0: see. That would be awesome. You obviously have been such a vital piece of this group. In fact, the last homestand last week, you had your first ever bobblehead. What did that mean to you?
4: Just truly humbling, you know, to to just process my journey in this game, you know, from coming out of Vegas, my tribulations, and, uh, you know, coming up through the minors, and, um, you know, everything in the big leagues to, you know, to have a bobblehead, man. It's, it's humbling. It just just shows you you know if you continue to work hard and you know you believe in yourself good things could happen
0: you talk to people in that clubhouse and to a man they will you know rave about the work you put in your determination where did that come from do you think
4: you know seeing just people throughout my life you know that were in my everyday life seeing seeing them work and how it transpired on me you know my mom always had to work you know two jobs or such so I, I used to see how hard she worked. My grandma, same kind of story. I didn't really have, you know, that my, my dad's been been locked up my whole life. You know, seeing my, the women of my life work so hard, you know, I kind of get my work ethic from them. And obviously the work has paid off.
0: For you as a, as a ball player, your competitive nature too, were there ever moments where you... I mean, you broke through, basically. Your breakthrough years were 12th year as a, as a professional. Were there moments, dark moments, where it was difficult to keep going? Because you have to have incredible love for the game and determination to do what you've done.
4: Yeah, the only time you know where I felt like the game was kind of playing me was um, maybe in 20, 2017, really, when I felt like I did everything I had to do to not be in the minor leagues anymore, and I, yet yeah, I got sent there again. You know, but down in the minor leagues, I was hitting 400 for two weeks. And, you know, I see guys struggling in the big leagues, and it just didn't make sense to me on, on why I'm I'm down and, and and not up. You know, that's the only time I really questioned it. But, you know, when I had my surgeries in the minor leagues, I, I didn't ever question myself because it was just a matter of health. You know, I even had coaches telling me that, you know, like, you just have to stay healthy. You just have to show us you could stay healthy because you're going to perform. You're, you're a great player. So I had assurance from, you know, some coaches coming up. D-May, John Vooch, a, a, um, a farm director of mine at the time, Mike Schilt. You know, I, I had the, the advocates supporting me. It was just a matter of health. When I had my healthy season in 2014, I ended up making it to the big leagues. You know, it wasn't – I struggled early in my career, you know, but once I, once I got my vision taken care of and it was just a matter of health because I started performing.
0: And obviously you've performed so well since you've been here. When did you feel comfortable here? Because in the 11 months that you've been with this organization, you've been nothing but a key piece of the lineup, a key piece of the team.
4: Man, these guys, they, they took me in from day one, made me feel really comfortable at home you know you, i i would have to give all the credit to my teammates and the, the organization management on down um, they've done such a great job here for me that uh, i mean i could only be thankful for it because uh, i mean not too many times you know someone comes to a, a new organization and, and they they make me feel like they have made me feel here. is I'm, I'm truly lucky
0: You've rubbed off on them, I think, in the way you go about
4: your business every day.
0: How have they rubbed off
4: on you and impacted you? Just from uh, the playing with the joy, um, the passion. You know, we have a lot of passion on this team. You know, I, I show mine in a different way, but I've, I've learned from playing here, you know, that a lot of guys look up to me, and it, it's something I I've, I've haven't ever experienced, you know, but guys have... Kind of taking me in from how I go about my business and I, I've noticed from playing with more passion that it feeds off of everyone in, in this dugout so it's kind of shown taught me how to be a better leader you know not, not by having to go out and say anything but just 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 playing the game like I've always played it but having a little showing a little bit more passion because everyone in this dugout feeds off of that and and I'm all about winning.
0: And the team's record with you in the lineup, I think obviously shows the value of you to your group.
4: Yeah, we've uh, man ever since I've been here, we we've we've won a ton and um, we're, we're we're only trying to win more.
0: What has been your best moment in the big leagues and also with this group?
4: In the big leagues, I mean we can always remember our first hit, first home run, stuff like that. But I felt like my, my best moment had to be uh, in 2017. You know, I, I hit my 20th homer and, my, and I stole my 20th base in the same game. And that's something that was, was pretty cool because I could always remember it. You know, all right, I had a 2020 season and I, I, it happened in the same game with the Rays. We've had a, a lot of great moments, but I, I a moment that really stuck with me so far is you know I've hit my first grand slam here with the Rays, and sure enough, I wasn't even trying to hit the ball that far. I, I was just trying to get the run in anyhow, any any way possible without hitting a double play, and the result was a home run. And I mean, I soaked that in. Um, we've we've had a ton of great moments on the team, you know, from I, I'm I'm seeing guys grow on this team from blake snell meadows um and it, it's truly fun to watch you know um, all these guys continue to work hard and get better
0: off the field you also visited the negro league museum this year where did that sit in terms of you know i know how much you value the history the culture of the game etc
4: long overdue visit because I, I played in kansas quite a few times now and um, i've always been meaning to go but uh there's there's just been a uh, in the past, um, I haven't had a chance, but I-, I loved every minute of that visit. Just to always go back and learn about history is, is truly amazing. And, you know, sometimes to get to go a, a little bit further in life, you know, you, you kind of have to know-, know about the past. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it's something I think I, I-, I will be doing every year uh, on trips to uh, – Kansas City you know and even maybe taking some some of my teammates I think that would be a great idea
0: I think it's a terrific idea and I think that you know the one thing I also enjoy about you is you using use of social media whether it's Twitter Instagram to tell your stories how important is that to you to kind of let the fans into you off the field as much as they
4: see you on the field and yeah. I'm pretty boring you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do a better job with social media but I mean I'm working on it you know, it, social media is an avenue that, I mean, you've seen within the last few years how much it's grown. And um, I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm, I'm probably like uh, in middle school with it. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't graduated high school or, or moved on to college. I'm probably in middle school with it, so I'm still working on it.
0: On the field, you've been an an all-star representative for the Rays and hopefully continued on that path. And more than that, this team keeps winning with you on the field. Thanks for some time on This Week in Rays Baseball. Thank you, Neil. That's Tommy Pham. We'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with you. Joining me now from Boston to discuss the week on by, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, good morning. Uh, Tired at all?
5: No, Neil, 13 and a half hours at the ballpark is nothing. Come on, man. It wasn't like we were at watch parties or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, uh, Despite how fatigued this group may be, um, obviously they're still loose. I saw your tweets in the clubhouse this morning. Tell me what uh, you saw and, and what's the vibe there.
5: It was one of those things you really don't want to see. Mike Zanino wearing Jonathan Ehrlichman's jersey, which was uh, like four sizes too small, or 48 to 40, so you could figure out the uh, the sizing on that, it would probably be like Dave Wills wearing Bogo's shirt or something. I mean, it was not a good look. Uh, but it was done for entertainment value, and I think it got some looks. Um, and then it started out by just trying on the pants, and he decided to go for the jersey, too. And it, we decided it was kind of like the baseball version of skinny jeans.
0: Okay. Uh, well, at least they're staying loose, and uh, obviously they've played very well. I mean, if they win today, and this isn't a good road trip, it's a terrific road trip, they have a chance to go 5-2 and two and win both series.
5: Yeah, they do, and and obviously, you know, whatever, however you want to look at it, splitting a doubleheader against the Red Sox with Ryan Yarbrough and Austin Pruitt as your bulk pitchers has got to be considered a pretty good day for the Rays still, and then with Blake Snell going today against Eduardo Rodriguez, a guy the Rays have had success with, you'd think they are in a pretty good position to win this series. I mean, winning a series in Detroit, they should do. Winning a series in Boston would be impressive, and, you know, it's a good time to do it. The Red Sox are beat up a little bit themselves. haven't seen J.D. Martinez do anything. We've seen... You know, they've shuttled some other guys in and out over the last couple days. You know, Moreland came back, and he went right back on the injured list. So I think there's some opportunity here for the Rays to, to take advantage of that.
0: That said, though, the story, would it be Ryan Yarbrough and Yanni Chirinos on this trip, the fact that both guys worked the end of the eighth inning? and I, I mean, I'm looking at four guys, Castillo, Caleric, Rowe, and Drake. They haven't even pitched in the two days in Boston.
5: Yeah, and, and I think you know part of the reason, or really a big part of the reason, you saw Austin Pruitt stay out there last night was as long as the Rays were behind, I think Cash was going to stick with him, and try to save those guys. And you know, I always tell you it's how relative things are. Coming into this trip and coming into this weekend, Cash didn't want to talk about the schedule and the three, you know, four games in three days and forty-five hours. And then last night he said, well, you know, you guys keep bringing up the four games in three days, but we've got this big, long stretch in front of us, so we've got to save as many you know days as we can for these bullpen guys. So, of course, it matters, and, of course, that's part of their strategy, and they're in pretty good shape. I mean, I thought it was a fantastic stat that uh, Craig Vanderkam and Dave Haller came up with and, and passed on last night. The Rays had gone 195 games without having a starting pitcher go at least seven and two-thirds innings, and they did it on back-to-back nights <laughs> or back-to-back days against the Red Sox in Fenway Park. And it was Johnny Chirinos and Ryan Yarborough. That was, that's pretty impressive and not something I don't think any of us, even you, would have forecast, Neil.
0: No, and uh, you look at this road trip, they've done it without Jose Alvarado, who's very close to rejoining the team.
5: Yeah, and you know he, he is, uh, well, Kevin Cash didn't want to commit to anything. He said it was possible he could rejoin the team tomorrow or Tuesday. He's been in Venezuela. It's an undisclosed family matter. You know, you're allowed up to seven days for that situation. He's used up his seven days. Now he gets moved to the restricted list where I think you don't get paid also. Uh, and I think you'll see him back there soon. But, you know, the kind of not related related is that, you know, they brought up Colin Pochet to give him another left-hander, a guy who can kind of pitch through some righties, you know, the guy that we heard so much about last year and in spring training, and he really kind of had a terrible spring and a bad start to his season at Durham, but he seems to have it figured out. And, you know, I know he gave up the couple hits last night, ended up with the loss because Pruitt gave up the double when he came in, and those were Pochet's runners. But, you know, 20 of his first 21 pitches for strikes, 21 of 24, Pretty impressive, and, and I think maybe more importantly, he didn't look nervous. He didn't look rattled out there, and I think that's going to be a, a good sign for the Rays going forward. And he could pitch in a bunch of different roles, I mean, he kind of would be like the Neil Solon to the pitching staff. I mean, he could open, he could pitch short, he could face some lefties, he could pitch through an inning, he could pitch at the back end of the game. I think you could see a bunch of different things uh, that Colin Pochet could do for the Rays.
0: Yeah, his line score didn't indicate how well he pitched yesterday. You know, this week was a big week not only for the team, but off the field too, and you highlighted it today in Rays Tales give us an idea of what you focused on for people who yet have not read uh, your draft coverage and your race tale story. Yeah, because
5: if you are on your way out, you want to pull into the store right now and go get that paper or click on it. But uh, I do appreciate the plug, Neil. No, you kind of looked at the draft. Look, it's hard. This isn't the NFL where, you know, these guys have been college football stars or the NBA where they've been college basketball stars and, and people know who they are. And you know, I certainly wouldn't pretend to know who's going to be good and whether these were the right picks or not. I mean, we all kind of go on with the experts, you know, Baseball America, MLB.com, uh, Keith Law, Fangraphs, those kind of people tell us who do some more uh, intensive work on this. But, you know, the Rays made a couple picks uh, early on that weren't necessarily where other people had them slotted, and Greg Jones and J.D. Goss, um, Seth Johnson. So we'll see how they lay out. What I tried to do was tell you a little bit of behind-the-scenes stories. I think there was an interesting story, you know, for Seth Johnson, whose college team had just lost two games. Their dreams were crushed. He walks off the field. He finds out he was taken by the Rays higher than expected. You know, the kid who played at Eckerd College, Garrett Hyatt, who uh, basically earned his way into their draft board by doing really well at the tryout the other day. There's some family connections there uh, with some guys who the Rays took, um, you know, who have uh, uncles and relatives who played. In the minors, uh, Sogard, whose uncle is playing in the major leagues right now with Toronto. The Rays just saw him recently. So just kind of a little behind-the-scenes stuff, a little bit of a snippet on what the experts had to say, and then, you know, the usual uh, Rays rumbling, the Andy Freed favorite part of the day, and uh, a couple comments on the tickets and the uh, Kay- Craig Kimbrel situation.
0: Certainly worth a read, and I hope people do it, and they can follow him on Twitter at uh, Times underscore Rays. Mark, uh, safe travels back, and we appreciate some time in this week in Rays Baseball.
5: Absolutely, Neil. It's always the highlight of the day, the week, the month, and looking forward to seeing you tomorrow.
0: All right, sounds good. That is Mark Topkin at the Tampa Bay Times. Before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network.
3: WTAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park.
0: You know, as I mentioned with Mark off the field, the big point of discussion this week for the race was the draft, and with some time to kind of get away from those draft days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I asked Director of Amateur Scouting, Rob Metzler, to outline what took place, and overall, he was pleased.
6: As hard as possible not to predict what what our results might be and try and focus as much as possible on on the process of building a good draft board, and at the end of it, once once the dust settles, we can look at the results, and, and to see that we added the middle of the diamond you know impactful profile like reg Jones to see that we were able to add arms up top like JJ goss Seth Johnson John doc's axis all very different profiles but but ones that we think have a real chance to impact our major league roster down the road and really get into our system and compete really well in the near term we're uh, we're really excited about it let's begin with Jones what made him as attractive as he was to you at number 22? One, the physical ingredients. We're talking about somebody with impactful foot speed, a switch hitter with, you know, life in his bat, a defensive player who, you know, there's already been questions about his defensive profile, but we think he has a real chance to continue to develop at shortstop. Uh, arm strength, actions, range, th- those things are all real assets for him there. We also think it's a profile with his foot speed. If you know baseball takes him in a direction where center field makes more sense, we think he can be an impactful player there. But I would add on to that. I mean, this is a player that we've scouted significantly since high school. And really encouraging about Greg, give him a ton of credit, give the coaching staff at UNC Wilmington a ton of credit, is every time you'd go to see Greg, he'd get a little bit better. We're excited to see where that takes him.
0: The top three pitchers you took that you mentioned, Goss John. And Duxakis, I think probably what's also interesting is they don't have a ton of mileage on them, um, especially Seth Johnson. How, how important is that in this day and age, where we're seeing guys maybe from year-round overuse, growing up pitching from the age, God knows how when, that they do have a tendency to break down sometimes.
6: Really hard to, really hard to predict health in pitchers. As much of an issue now as it's ever been in baseball. Keep keeping pitchers healthy. We think all three have, you know, they're. Three very different pitching profiles. J.J. Goss is a, we love his physical ingredients in terms of athleticism, arm speed, you know, stuff, you know, we're talking, you know, a good lively fastball with velocity, you know, a slider that he can use. And, you know, we've we've seen, you know, a true plus slider and, and a developing change that's really shown promise and an ability to compete, you know, compete with those, you know, with those tools in terms of, we think he's been on a very good progression of workload. You know, we think he's somebody who's, he has pitched significantly in high school, but they've done, you know, an excellent job not overworking him. You know, after the, you know, you know, the showcase circuit was over in August, he he put the ball down and didn't really pick it back. You know, he went through offseason training, but it wasn't an overuse through the end of the offseason. We we were excited about that progression. Seth Johnson, very different, you know, very different profile. This is somebody who was a shortstop up until this year. He was a sh- shortstop at Lewisburg Junior College Community College, and he. Uh, came to pitching a little bit later. You know, this year at at Campbell, he he started throwing in the fall, you know, and and his progression's been very different. It's a very, you know, he has very little mileage on on his arm with physical ingredients that we think are, super body type is excellent he's a he's a really good athlete and his arm action delivery are you know what we look for in a young starting pitching prospect but that comes with challenges we're we're not you know we're not blind to that you know he's going to have a build up that's different than somebody like the next person we're going to talk about John Ducks Axis you know is, is a somebody who's carried a significant workload responsibly but a significant workload at Texas A&M somebody who's pitched in in their weekend road, worked his way into the weekend role as as a freshman in the past 2 years he's been as you know he's and one of their weekend aces this past year being on fridays and taking the ball every every friday night and, and pitch deep into the game so those are all very different profiles but we think they each have a chance to progress through the system in a healthy manner but having said that we we don't have all the answers about pitchers health it worked out on the
0: second day that you did take more pitchers and position players and sometimes on day two you're taking some risk joe mccarthy brandon lau obviously those have worked out fairly well does graham stinson kind of apply in terms of just the fact that he really didn't pitch much this season
6: yeah Obviously, I, I think from Graham's point of view, from our point of view, everybody, you know, looking back at the stuff that he showed, you know, it was actually at our, our, our ballpark in Durham last summer pitching for Team USA. There was, you know, electric things coming out of his left arm. I mean, his, it, it was a live, powerful fastball and a real power slider. And this spring, you know, again, as I told you before, we don't have all the answers about pitching, we don't have all the answers about health. This spring didn't go the way that he, he had hoped or the Duke program had hoped we thought looking back at what we'd seen this past summer we thought this was a great spot to add that time type of impactful arm we thought the pick the pick was was worth that type of risk for we didn't quite see that this spring and and obviously he, he i think he he made five starts but he we, he wasn't on the mound since march but we're we're hopeful you know about our ability to get him back on the mound and, and work towards seeing that stuff again
0: and obviously developing depth of pitching is something you guys have done through the draft the last several years what did you like about day three? Who are some guys who may pop in a couple of years that were going, oh, there was, a number, there was another Nate Lowe or a Miles Mastroboni or someone like that that provides a lot of depth and actually can impact the system?
6: Well, I mean, day three is tremendously important for any team, but certainly for us to enter our system, go in and compete with the good players that we have in there already. In terms of specifics, I I thought it was great that our board lined up. We were able to add, you know, we started the day with two really good collegiate infielders, Ben Treicki and Nick Sogard are both very, very good baseball players with, who can defend, put the ball in play. We're excited to see what they do going out in the system and competing, but they, they they're good baseball players who should be able to go in compete and we'll see if we can, you know, keep them on the same path that some of our other day three players have 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 gone on. You know, somebody you know to say next two day three picks are you know Zach Huffins and Logan Allen are both center field prospects who are impactful runners. You know, the, the both top of the chart runners that you know like to like to see what their careers bring to them. You know, it's going to be a competition. It's going to be a challenge to see w- what they can do. But they both have the physical ability to continue to get better and and work their way through our system. And then. 15th round pick brett wisely is a you know somebody a junior college infielder that we we really like his left-handed bat and you know infielders that can hit we like to see where the career takes them so the, that group of position players to start the day on day three really excited about it
0: and that is rob metzer he's the head of amateur scouting for the race coming up you'll hear from the race top four picks and last year's number one selection you're listening to this week in race baseball and this is the race baseball network <laughs> Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solance at the top of the race draft class this year, and this week with Speedy Greg Jones of UNC Wilmington. Jones told me this week he was ecstatic to start his professional career.
2: Ever since a kid, my dream was to play Major League Baseball. So, you know, getting that call, having your name posted on the screen like that, was just like, wow, you really made this happen. All the hard work has paid off, and, you know, now it's time to really work.
0: Where did that passion start? Um, when did you become a baseball fan? How old were you when you really have memories of how much you loved the sport and why?
2: Well, you know, I probably started playing baseball at age five, but you know, kids at age five are usually just standing out chasing butterflies or something. Hmm. But you know, it's probably, I would say, I would say myself that I was not the best baseball player, but I probably got up around age nine, and that's when I really just started. Me and my dad would mess around in the cage, and I was just switch it and I hit him from the left side, and and I I kind of like just picked it up pretty naturally, honestly. So, you know, like that was like a big like boost to my, like what type of player I could really be if I could hit from both sides of the plate. So me and my dad got pretty serious with it. And, you know, my dad built me a batting cage in my backyard when we used to live in Fuquay. And every day after work, we were out there doing something. That's where my love of the game really started.
0: Were you always a, a shortstop growing up? And what were or who were some of the guys that you really enjoyed watching growing up?
2: Uh, I actually played tennis when I played like Little League and all that. But, you know, when I started playing travel balls, when I moved to my grade a shortstop. But my favorite player was always Jose Reyes.
0: Not a bad one for a guy who hits and can run.
2: Exactly. I thought I could relate to him pretty well.
0: Now, you were drafted out of high school uh, by the Orioles in the 17th round, and you elected, obviously, and it's it's paid off being a top pick. What led to your decision to go to UNC Wilmington and continue to develop rather than start your pro career out of high school?
2: Well, I felt like out of high school I wasn't ready. Like, I wasn't mentally really ready or physically ready. I knew that UNCW had a great baseball program, and it gave me a chance to grow as a player, get stronger, and that's what I did. I took on... Took, took on what Coach Gaff and Coach Hood had to do with me. Over at Wilmington, they molded me into a great baseball player.
0: Where beyond the, the size, and, and how much did you grow from your high school to your college years? Where were you when you started, where are you now, and where else did you grow as a player?
2: All right, so about high school, I was probably, well, freshman year, I would say, I was probably about five, six, pushing it, <laughs> and I probably graduated high school, and I was probably like five, five, eight, five, nine. But I really boosted after that senior year, and I became around six feet. You know, went to Wilmington, put on some weight. I'm um, so probably like a six one, six two now. And you know, just that's just where it went.
0: And size-wise, in terms of weight, where are you at right now?
2: After a long season, hot season, <laughs> I'm at about one eighty. I started the season at one eighty nine, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'll happen in the south. Yeah. How important is it – I mean, you are a draft-eligible sophomore. How important is it to now your top pick to get your career started? Uh, how quickly do you want to sign?
2: This was definitely one of my main goals after signing to go to college, just using my two years the right way to make myself the best I could in those two years to be draft-eligible and get drafted. So, you know, that paid off big time. And, you know, I'm just ready to go play at the next level now.
0: Were you surprised at all it was the race?
2: I was a little surprised. I thought maybe the Braves would pick me up, but, you know, I kind of liked the Rays. That was the first Major League Baseball game I ever went to. I was probably about five or six, so got a little connection right there.
0: At Tropicana Field? Yep. Do you remember who they played? Do not. You went to, how many Durham Bulls games did you go to as a kid since you grew up in Cary? Oh,
2: man. (laughs) I probably can't even count that. I've been to a lot of Durham Bulls baseball games.
0: Is it almost some irony that you grew up kind of in the backyard of their AAA affiliate and now they picked
2: you? Uh, I guess that's a little ironic. I, feel like, I like it, though. I think it'll be fun.
0: And in terms of the type of player you are right now, where are your strengths and where do you want to grow the most as you get your career started?
2: I would say my greatest strength would be my speed. You know, I'm a premier runner, I would say, myself. I love the steel bases, which I know I, I can always refine my, uh, my swing, being more consistent with the bat. And using my power that I can display in BP and translating it into the game.
0: And that is top pick of the race, Greg Jones of UNC Wilmington. Now, the second race pick was the only high school choice on that day for Tampa Bay, and uh, what was day one. J.J. Goss was with family when he heard the news.
7: Yeah, there's a lot of family, uh, actually, from both sides. My mom and my dad's side There's a bunch of family. My mom was really emotional, and she's always been there for me, and she continue she will be there for a while, and... It was just, it was a moment that I won't forget.
0: You went to a very, what I would call, tradition-rich baseball area in and in a tradition-rich school. What ignited your passion for the game? How, how young were you when you got started, and were you always a pitcher? I
7: started playing ever since I was little, and I used to be a little short, fast guy playing outfield all the <laughs> way up until freshman, sophomore year, and down the pitchers mound and fell in love with pitching and just being able to get the guys out spotlight of the game pretty much and I just enjoyed it.
0: Did you play other sports and was there ever a choice or was it baseball was always number one?
7: Uh, Baseball was always number one but I did play football up until after my freshman year. I decided that baseball was definitely the way to go and just focused on baseball since but it's always been my number one sport.
0: Growing up in the Houston area did you go to a lot of Astros games?
7: Uh, Yes sir growing up definitely had a lot of Chances to go watch the Astros, and it was, it's always been fun. From the stadium changes they've got, I've got to see, and the different players that've been through there that I love watch.ing Like seeing Corbin Martin come up and pitch in the big leagues there, and um, there's a lot of guys been through there that I've enjoyed watching.
0: How much did you know about Tampa Bay? I mean, getting to pitch
7: there this last summer in the P.G. National was a very cool. Environment, to be able to pitch in my first big league stadium, and the, the dome and the mound and the field and very fun and I enjoyed being there.
0: It Give us, our, our fans an idea what that whole experience is like. Uh, what is Perfect Game National like? Why do you think you enjoy that experience so much?
7: Uh, it was like my first chance to actually play like, like all the competition across the, the world there at Tropicana and all the talent that was there, being able to pitch against them and them to see what it's like. It's very fun.
0: They obviously have a reputation for um, developing pitching. How much did you know about that, and how excited are you about that?
7: Um, we actually had a talk with my advisor with all the pitching development throughout the draft and which team has the best, and the Rays was in there. And When I heard that they have a chance to call my name, and when they did, I was very excited that I'm going to land in good hands and be developed well as a pitcher and be able to pursue my dreams.
0: What do you see right now as your strengths as a pitcher, and where do you want to grow the most?
7: Um, I want to fill out my body <clears throat> first, get bigger, stronger, and be able to pitch and throw pitches and get the right pitch sequence over time and just develop as a pitcher as a whole.
0: Of the pitches now, which are the ones that you think are your best, and what do you throw?
7: Definitely my slider. I lean on it most of the time, and change-ups there for lefties, and I throw it well, and just living on the fastball, being able to blow it by some hitters and being able to locate it where I want it.
0: You were on a, a high school team that had multiple guys that were well thought of. What was that whole experience like, and how much do you think that helped you grow having guys you competed against?
7: Uh, yes, sir. Throughout <clears throat> high school, I played with I mean, Todd Madden, which was in last year's draft, and now he's at UT. And um, Just being able to kind of watch him go through the experience first, and then me and Matt. Thompson have an opportunity to do the same thing and go out there and pitch in front of scouts every game was definitely something that pushed us to pitch the best we can every day especially being on the same field as him
0: and that is J.J. Goss pitching prospect Ray's second pick this year we wish him a lot of success Seth Johnson was taken four picks later by the Rays at number 40 overall this week and the Campbell pitching prospect came to Tampa Bay on a very unique ride
3: it was up there the last few years for me. In high school, the only offer I had was to a, to Lewisburg, which is a small junior college I never heard of. and I took that just to keep playing baseball as a shortstop. Um, played there two years. Then about halfway through my sophomore year, I gave pitching a shot. Wasn't really getting it done in the batter's box at the plate. so I uh, I tried a bullpen to see what would happen. and It went well and went good enough for uh, a Coach to give me an opportunity on the mound and so I got to Campbell and I think it kinda of took off from there.
0: And because of what you did on the mound in Lewisburg, you basically got discovered in essence and Campbell was your shot?
3: Yes, sir. I only threw six innings at Lewisburg and um Campbell saw me during a midweek game. I actually gave up a walk off home run, which that part kind of sucks, but by the end of the week I was committed to committed to play at Campbell.
0: And when did the you know because from what I read, you started throwing what? I mean, which is pretty awesome for not having thrown since middle school. But you were throwing 91 in in your bullpens in your games, and now I'm reading you're a mid-90s guy. How did the velocities tick up?
3: A lot of it, I feel like, with arm care, um, taking care of the body and also getting stronger, staying flexible, definitely played a big role in the uh, increase of VLO.
0: When you got drafted 40th overall, what was was your thought? Um, How surprised were you?
3: I was pretty surprised. Um, It was kind of a – yesterday was a bittersweet day. Um, We lost two games and our season ended. Uh, We were playing for a regional championship, and I got the call literally right after our game had ended. And, you know, it was kind of – it was definitely uh, bittersweet. The sadder season's over, but it's also really exciting and surprising. I was picked on the first day.
0: If I would have told you at Lewisburg you were going to be a a first-day draft pick, what would you have said?
3: I would have looked at you like you're the craziest person I've ever met. I don't even know what I would have said.
0: And now here you are about to start your pro career. How excited are you? Um, Despite, obviously, what happened, you had a great season as a team at Campbell, and to have a chance to go to Super Regional is pretty uh, amazing for a a small, successful baseball school.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited. It's a lifelong dream to play professional baseball. I felt like that was what I was going to do with my life, even if it wasn't as a shortstop. It definitely wasn't the route I thought I was going to take to get here, but I'm here, and that's what's really, really exciting.
0: What ignited your passion, obviously, as a youth, because you've been playing baseball all the way through? Did you play other sports growing up, and, and was baseball always number one, and if so, why?
3: Um, yeah, I played some rec basketball when I was little, like in middle school and stuff. I decided, I made a decision to focus on baseball because that's what I loved. I was obsessed with baseball. Even like in the offseason and stuff, I was making sure every day I was like doing something with the baseball. And it just always kind of stuck with me. It's, it's kind of my life.
0: Anyone else in your family kind of get you involved in the game, and and who were the guys that maybe you loved watching pros as you were growing up? My
3: dad definitely was a big part of me falling in love with baseball. He um, he did a lot of research for to coach me and all that stuff growing up, and never ought to watch. I grew up a Red Sox fan, which I know I'm a, I'm a big Rays guy now, but <laughs> um, I always like watching Dustin Majoria because when I was growing up, I was always one of the smaller guys on the field and um, I loved watching how scrappy he was and how, he, how competitive he was out there.
0: Did you have kind of a late growth spurt in terms of your size? I know you're not a huge guy for a pitcher, but you're still reasonable size. Yeah,
3: I was definitely a late bloomer. I, kind of, I have kind of a later birthday, too, but I was definitely, definitely later than everyone else.
0: And growing up in what, the Concord area of North Carolina? Did you go to Durham Bulls games, Charlotte Knights games? Did you have kind of a taste of seeing pros when you were a kid?
3: Yeah, I um, went to some Knights games. Uh, it was a lot easier when moved to downtown Charlotte. Went to a few Durham Bulls games. Cause my grandma lives up in Durham, so they to see them a little bit. Went to a good amount of Kannapolis Intimidators, which is like a low way for the White Sox. So anytime we had an opportunity, we would go watch them throw ball.
0: And that is Seth uh, Johnson of Campbell. The Rays also took another college player with their final pick on day one. Lefty John Duxakis came from Texas A&M.
1: I think uh, what made it so special is just how uh, long we were sitting around waiting for uh, a phone call from a team. I think it just kind of everything was built up, you know, all the hours you put in, all the years you put in really into this sport. And then sitting around for five and a half hours and that finally coming. It just shows that, you know, it, it, the game eventually uh, will pay you back in a sense. And, uh, You know, I was just so happy, and I honestly didn't have any words when it happened. I was like, wow, you know, this is something I've dreamed about, and now it's happening. So, yeah, you know, I'm just blessed and so happy for the opportunity and ready to get after it.
0: Did you think it would be the Rays um, that would choose you? And, And if not, who did you think was going to pick you?
1: You know, I honestly had no idea. Uh, communications with me were very quiet. You know, I didn't have anyone say, yeah, we're picking you or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I kind of caught it as a, as a surprise. You know, our whole family was at the house together, and then um, I went outside to take a breather or whatever. and My advisor had called me and just texted me Tampa. And I was like, okay. And I had no idea what pick it was going to be. And I go back in town and I go, like, oh, wow, it's the next pick. You know, I didn't tell anyone it was going to happen, so I made it even better. And it uh, caught everyone by surprise.
0: How many family friends did you have with you when, uh, when the news came down?
1: Uh, I had five of my best friends from growing up. Uh, we all live on the same street, so they all made the drive. And then I had probably ten others with me.
0: Now, you were born in Houston. Did you grow up going to Astros games, and, and did you, were you always a pitcher?
1: Growing up, I was a, you know, kind of played every position. That a lefty could play, but yeah, growing up, going to offshore games, stuff like that, and uh, was, uh, Tampa's new to me. But you know, it's, I, I like change. I like uh, you know seeing new things. So you know, I'm, I'm really excited.
0: What type of uh, pitchers did you enjoy watching growing up, and why?
1: I really liked watching uh, Cole Hamels and Cliff Lee. Uh, you know, they're not that old. You know, they're still playing, or uh, Cole Hamels is, but. You know, they were just, I liked how calm they looked in the big moment and stuff like that. And then obviously, you know, they were good. And then, of course, you have Randy Johnson, but he's a different breed. You know, he might be a -a one-of-a-kind guy. Uh, But, you know, you always just like watching those guys pitch and seeing how they compete. And uh, they kind of show what it takes to be successful at the highest level in this sport. And, uh, yeah, so just watching them and really watching how they handled it mentally and emotionally uh, was a big part for me.
0: For you as a pitcher, what do you think your strengths are, and are they similar, at least at the level that you've played at, in terms of, you know, your your strengths mentally and the way you compete?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, I'm a command guy with the fastball, you know, it's not going to overpower you, but it's got a lot of life and movement to it, so, you know, I trust throwing it over the plate and letting it run off and uh, getting weak contact, and then also having the slider in the back pocket to where if I get in a situation to put someone away late in account that I, I'm able to do that, and, you know, that's kind of the things I picked up on uh, out of Randy Johnson. You know, he was a power arm, was able to put people away when he wanted to, and uh, got a lot of weak contact. So, you know, that's kind of where I find my success in the sport, and it's uh, kind of how I go about it.
0: How much do you know about the Rays and their um, success rate in terms of developing pitching?
1: Uh you know, I honestly don't know anything at all uh, <laughs> from a detail standpoint, but, you know, I've talked to uh, Corbin Martin. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. him, but he just got called up to the Astros. He was my he was a mentor for one of my freshman year at A&M. And he texted me, he goes, man, I'm so proud of you. Like, you're going to love it there. They do a great job with pitching. And so just hearing from him and hearing a guy that's going through right now, you know, that was a really good thing to hear. Um, so, yeah, that's got me really excited.
0: And that's John Daxakis of Texas A&M, a lefty. So his top pick last year, Matthew Libertor. I spoke with Matt this week and asked him to remember what last year was like.
8: Probably after my name got called um, was the most memorable part. Um, Up until then, it was kind of an emotional roller coaster. Um, You know, my dad coming in out of the room after being on the phone and, you know, having M O B network there and having the camera on me and the earpiece in my ear so I could hear what was going on. But after just when everybody went crazy and, you know, I got to actually get up and hug all my family and really share that emotional moment with everybody there, um, I think that was definitely the most memorable part for me.
0: You obviously had a tremendous reputation um, going into the draft. What has been most eye-opening to you in your first year as a pro?
8: Well, especially being at a full-season affiliate now, I'd say just the travel and the schedule that we kind of maintain. I think since the day I got here, we played 22 days straight, You know, whether it was in Bowling Green, Lansing, West Michigan, Lake County. We've done a lot of traveling already, so a lot of long bus rides and staying in hotels and all that kind of stuff. So probably just developing routines and you know, making sure my body is feeling at tip-top shape throughout all that travel and staying in an unfamiliar bed and all that kind of stuff. That's probably been the most eye-opening part for me.
0: I know the first month and change you were down in extended spring training, but how pleased were you that the race gave you the chance to pitch at the full season level in your first full year in the system?
8: I was super happy about that. Obviously, I was going to be happier however things turned out, but um, being able to come to a full season affiliate, I feel like I all the hard work that I put in this offseason season really paid off in that You know, they believed in me, and that's a a big confidence boost, in my opinion.
0: You said hard work. When you got through with that first half season in the Gulf Coast League in Princeton, what did you learn, and how did you go about your work, and how did you maybe change your your body, your off-season routine, once you learned from your first kind of taste of uh, pro ball? Um,
8: I didn't really change anything specifically. The only thing that I really worked on, um, was once I started getting back on the mound, just being a, being more consistent with my stuff. Um, you know, I wasn't gonna get away with as many fastballs down the middle as I would in high school. So, you know, being able to, being able to locate my fastball and throw my off speed whenever I need to, whether it's a full counter, oh oh. So I'd say just developing better feel for my stuff, continuing to further my, you know, pitchability and being able to command all my pitches in any situation.
0: Who um, has been most helpful in the race organization and helping you grow and evolve? Because I know they have some really good teachers.
8: Everyone calls him Doggy, um, but he's been around for a very, very long time. He coached in the World Series at the Giants. He's worked with Kerry Wood. He's talked with Greg Maddox before. Um, So he certainly has a track record, and he's one of the uh, guys down here that I really clicked with um, more than anybody and he's been instrumental in helping me so far just, you know, kind of transition from high school to pro ball and what the demands are. And, you know, like I said before, working on my pitch ability and being consistent with my stuff and how to attack pro hitters and get guys at the next level out. So, you know, I've, I've been super appreciative of everything that he's done for me so far.
0: What's the biggest um, change you've noticed in terms of the level of competition?
8: Much, much better approaches at the plate. Guys also don't miss. Mistake pitches as often. Um, obviously, you can still get away with some mistake pitches here and there, but you know, as you move up the levels, guys to start to refine their approaches more and more, and you know, start to look for certain pitches. And when they get those pitches, they don't miss them. So I think you really need to focus every single pitch, to make sure you're making quality pitches. And- you know not leaving stuff up or hanging breaking balls all that kind of stuff
0: you also have a pretty good pitching staff around you how much has the competition level between you shane bosh shane mcclanahan and others how much is that helping you grow on a day-by-day basis
8: um it's awesome i wouldn't say we're necessarily competing against each other um we all kind of pick each other's brains about what each other sees and you know certain things we've picked up here and there um, because obviously they've been here longer than i have and just you know we like to you know keep it loose and have fun and We play catch with each other every day and talk about, you know, mechanics or ways to attack guys and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's actually really useful having these guys here, you know, who are also very intelligent pitchers and see things maybe a little differently than I do, and hopefully
0: I can pick up a few things from them. And I'm curious, since he's playing behind you, but what have you? What has impressed you the most about watching a kid like Wander Franco, who um, I guess is what about same age? You're younger than you, and and obviously excelling extremely well uh, for that level as a shortstop. His
8: approach at the plate is probably second to none. He doesn't miss his pitch, very, like hardly ever, and he does not strike out. Ever. I think I've seen him strike out maybe once or twice in the entire almost month since I've been here. So he just he puts the ball in play all the time. He makes something happen all the time. He's not giving away at, at bats, and you know he's not getting himself out. He's making the pitcher or the defense get him out. Um, so that's been very impressive and very fun to watch.
0: And that's Matthew Libertor. We certainly appreciate him and all the guests today on This Week in Rays Baseball. Next week, we'll chat with Kevin Kiermeyer about being a dad on Father's Day. For Derek DeBose, I'm Neil Solons. Stay tuned. The pregame show is coming up. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network.